It's week nine in the Pac-12. And of course, we're going to break down all the games, tell you who's going to win, who's going to lose, and business. Business is booming in the transfer portal in the Pac-12. We're going to go over all the TV ratings for the best games of the year and the Pac-12 players of the week. Arizona makes a very curious announcement, and Mike Leach is talking again, but he's not tweeting at least. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, it's going to be another interesting week of picking winners and losers in the Pac-12. It is not going to be easy again, but guess what? I'm going to do it, and I'm going to win again this week. I'm just letting you know that up front, sir. I am always amazed at how confident that you can be (laughs) in this conference week after week. But, I mean, yeah, let's go. my, My confidence is never shaken. I, I'm like Kobe. I'd rather go. I'll go 0 for 30 before I go 0 for 12. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, so business is booming in the transfer portal. Uh, people, it was kind of tradition. Well, it's not very old, but it had been an off-season deal. You know, players wanting to transfer for whatever reason, which I don't have a problem with. Sometimes I think that their handlers and the kids, they get a little soft and they don't, and they run away from competition, but sometimes it's justified and I like it. But now we're kind of seeing the, how the transfer portal is settling in. And we're seeing some senior players who played as true freshmen, who obviously they were excited about it at that point in time, but now come back with their seniors they're graduating and they have an opportunity to transfer to a place where maybe they're playing more, which I absolutely love and I don't mind, but business is booming, Ralph. It is. Um, the, there's a lot of, I think, unintended consequences of of this. It, it, it reminds me, I don't know if you've ever seen this, where um, there's that video where they reintroduce wolves back into Yellowstone like 20 years ago. And it's like a 10, 12 minute video and it shows how every single thing in Yellowstone changed because wolves are back. Like the way the rivers flow is different. Like every single thing. Even the rivers? Been... Yes. Yes. It, it's, it's crazy. It's every single thing is reshaped by introducing one element and it was a bunch of stuff that there's no way that they could have predicted. That's not to say that it's it's bad or good. I mean, in the cases of Wolves in Yellowstone, it's been mo- mostly good. But, like, in the case of this transfer portal, uh, we're witnessing things that I don't think that – at least I maybe wasn't smart enough to predict. We're witnessing people go out and ball out in their first couple of games at the FCS level, be major, major factors on their team, be primary contributors – and then say, oh, I'm good. Maybe I should see if I can go somewhere that has a bigger stage and then quit the team three games, four games into the season. Uh, so like, we're seeing that on the FCS wow. level. And then on the FPS level, we're seeing people jump in after just not having played because the transfer portal gives them the opportunity to communicate with other schools to kind of gauge whether whether or not there's that interest out there. And I think it's going to be a while before there's that overcorrection of where there's more people transferring than there are spots to transfer to. 
because the penalties on transferring are still pretty much the same. Um, so unless that's addressed by the NCAA or unless the scholarship uh, limit is addressed by the NCAA, we might see some uh, rough consequences because the, like in the case of Arizona state, they had four guys who weren't playing uh, announced that they were leaving. Uh, well, one, the kicker, obviously that was a different scenario, but they had three other guys that, uh, that, um, <laughs> that weren't playing that announced their intent to transfer that puts ASU at 53 non-senior scholarship players. So Herm Edwards said that he wanted an NFL model. Well, now you got it. You got 53 dudes who aren't seniors on scholarship. It's going to take them two years to get back to the 85 uh, limit. And that's even if teams can get back to 85 nowadays with the amount that people are moving around. So I think you're going to have to see a bunch of changes to the rules of how many people you can bring in. Uh, I think you're going to see changes to the rules of how many scholarships maybe you're allowed to have on your team at any given time, or you might even see changes to the amount of time that somebody has to sit out. Uh, either way, I, I just think that there's more happening than the NCAA anticipated when they said the the transfer portal was going to be a thing, or even that the four game redshirt uh, thing was was going to you know help the the players um, help coaches get some players into the game and stem transfers. I think it's actually adding to the transfer numbers. Uh, I, well, f- first of all, with the four game thing, I love that. I love the four game thing because I think that it, I believe that it raises the level of PAC 12 play and of college football play overall, because when players get in as true freshmen, but still are able to redshirt, they get experience. So then when they turn around and are able to play as uh, redshirt freshmen, then they've already been in the game. You don't have those nerves. And also it helps the teams uh, with their with their depth charts because to stem injuries throughout the year. Because if you're a team that's either banged up in the beginning of the season, the middle of the season, you can have some freshmen play without burning their red shirt and hurting your team necessarily for the the future. But the NCAA is already trying to uh, stop the grad, well, to penalize teams for graduate transfers. This is, this is guys who have already graduated, like uh, the kid at Oregon is doing, Brendan Schooler. He started out as a safety, as a true freshman. I think he led the conference or what is one of the conference leaders in interceptions next year they changed his position to wide receiver and he's been wide receiver since and he he's been okay but he hadn't had a ton of production but he had been a starter and this year he get he gets hurt but we'll go over that in a second so but the ncaa has said that they want to for grad transfers that they want that scholarship that they get to count for two years instead of only one season. So even after the player's eligibility is done, if they are a one-year grad transfer, because sometimes there are two-year, but not very often, that they can then count the scholarship for two years. So the team would then be penalized and wouldn't have a player available, but a scholarship would count, which I think is stupid. And, And hopefully the NCAA doesn't get that passed because truth be told, they already have enough headaches in in their you know minefields going off with the name image likeness and figuring that out. 
than to be getting in the business of transfers and portals and all of that because guess what? They're going to end up in more litigation if they do that. Um, but you- I think I think grad transfers should get an extra year of eligibility. Like if you if there were two years that you didn't play and you graduate from college, which was your job as a student athlete in the first place, uh, then you should get one of those years back. I mean, we see Brady White at Memphis, and I know it was due to injury, but he's going to get a sixth year. So he will have been at ASU for three years and Memphis for three years, and he'll be a three-year starter at Memphis. I think that they don't care about the education, Ralph. It's a it's a farce. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I just think I think that if they're going to make a scholarship count for two years, then give them another year of eligibility, especially if there were two years at the college that they're leaving where they did not play. Yeah, I don't. That way, you can actually institute that rule, but you can give it back to you can give it back to the player in the form of extra eligibility. And that way, I mean, I mean that that way maybe coaches will be a little more cautious. But again, every single thing has reactions that we're not necessarily anticipating. Um, I, I the four game thing, I didn't expect coaches to start shelving players. We're hearing accusations that coaches are realizing that hey, we're not that good next year, and approaching some of their upperclassmen and saying hey, um, you know maybe your NFL draft grades aren't that great. You know, how about we shut it down this year, bring you back next year, and stock the pond so that when we come back next year, we're coming back strong. I mean, that's what Houston's coach, Dana Holgerson, was accused of by one of his grad transfers, was asking seniors to 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 redshirt and declaring this a rebuilding year. So, I mean, I, I never would have anticipated that that would have been a thing. Every single rule that comes into place has all these unintended consequences, and there just doesn't seem to be a lot of foresight or anticipation of how rules could be not misused, but used in ways that they that they weren't looking for. Yeah. See, I don't – it's weird because – so with the Dana Hogerson thing, I don't like that only because it's so unfair. Like, you're, you're essentially tanking, and it's unfair to those yeah. – to the people who, to everybody else on the team. But at the same time, I look at this, is that uh, you have so many fans say, oh, kids need to stick it out, all this. I look at it like this. Everybody in college football, as much as they want to say, oh, it's a team and all of this. Yes, it's a team. But everybody on there is a bunch of mercenaries. Everybody has to make the best decision for themselves. The coaches are mercenaries. Would you agree with that, Ralph? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that was something that uh, Todd Graham got in a bunch of trouble for calling assistant coaches mercenaries. No, I'm, 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 I'm including, pit, but... I'm including the head coach in that. The head coach, the assist, the okay, the, okay. You know, no, that I definitely agree with. Head coaches, unless you're an alumni, I, honestly, like, I don't get. Uh, the fan affinity, like fa- fans believing that coaches are more than just uh, employees, you know, that they have some type of special love for any university. And, and even my reaction to coaches who come in and want to change things is, uh, you know, students have every right to push back against coaches because students are, you know, and, and, and alumni who pay tuition, who make do- donations, 
because their blood doesn't run the same color that yours does when it comes to fandom. Oh, for sure. And that was that was an issue I had with you know Herm Edwards came in uh, to Arizona State and Chip Kelly came into UCLA and they're like, all right, we're gonna cut players because the NCAA rules allow for you to do so. And I didn't like that because to me, like you, you're nothing but a hired gun. Like I look at Chip Kelly and I don't see a UCLA Bruin. I look at Herm Edwards, I don't see an Arizona State Sun Devil. I see a current employee, and to have somebody whose like dream it was to go to Arizona State or go to UCLA get cut from the football team because rules allow for that to happen. You know, you have people who Herm Edwards and Chip Kelly cut people who were far more Bruins or Sun Devils than they will ever be because they chose to be there and and work there and they wanted it before it was even available to them, you know? And so, yeah, I, I will agree with you in the, in, in describing coaches, you know, if you have to describe them as something as mercenaries, because that they don't, yeah, some schools celebrate the legacy of coaches, you know, long after they're gone. But for the most part, you know, these coaches come and go. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of them make the choice to leave, not just, you know, it's not just chosen for them. Yeah. And and long long after coaches are gone, those school colors, and, and they remain. That, um, and so, yeah, I, I feel like coaches are often more outsiders than we like to make them out to be. That's exactly why I don't mind players moving around, even though it's uncomfortable, even though I'd rather – See, you know, like I'd rather Brendan Schooler be at Oregon because he's a good blocker. He's a, you know, he's a reliable player. He's a good special teams player. But I also love this decision for him. He's been there for four years. He's done everything everybody's asked him to do. He's graduating. And guess what? He's behind on the depth chart, partly because he is, um, he was injured the first, what, six weeks of the five, five or six weeks of the season. He's only played three games, even though he had been a starter because he broke his foot or something in the preseason in one training camp. And now he has NFL aspirations and dreams and he wants to and he's buried on the depth chart and he doesn't just want to just play sparsely or, or sparingly. He wants to go somewhere and start. I'm like, go ahead. Take yourself down to Arizona with your brother where they have no wide receivers. And guess what? You'll probably yeah. play. You'll probably start and get an opportunity at your NFL dream. Same thing with Theo Howard at UCLA. Guy who had been productive, but he wasn't fitting into what was going on, but he has dreams and aspirations. And I'm looking at it like, yo, everybody is a mercenary. Everybody has to make the best decision for themselves. The coaches do it. The administrators do it. Uh, people want us to act like this is not professional sports. This has been professional sports except for everybody except the players. So as long as the coach's commitment is is what it is, because coaches' commitments are only as good as the opportunities available to them or the money that they're being paid. So as long as the coach's commitment is, is that, if coaches start being penalized for changing teams and all that, they have to sit out a year or something like that, then you can do that to the to the players. But if that's the case, nope, sorry, no way, not in on it at all. And Brendan Schooler, I wish you well. 
I hope that, you know, everything goes well for, for you and the ASU players who transferred. Okay, cool, whatever. Hope it works out for you. Hope this was a good decision for you and not a premature decision because we talked about the kicker, the kicker scandal at ASU. So go back a couple podcasts. It's in the title, kicker scandal or kicker drama in the Pac-12. Theo Howard as well and anybody else who's been in the transfer portal. Um, Mike Leach is talking, Ralph. You brought this up to me, and I was like, okay, so he's not tweeting. He's just making his press conferences just that more outrageous. He said something about Oregon, right? Yeah, I mean, he he basically came out and said, you know, why is anybody surprised that Oregon is good? Um, Good on defense, good on offense. They got all these four stars, you know, and then they come out, and then they play like they're four stars, and everybody's like, oh, Look what Oregon's doing. And, and I mean, I get where he's coming from. I also think it's com- just another dumb thing. Because it, it I, I, this is one of my pet peeves. And it's just from working in media. Is people say like, oh, you know, the, uh, the media does this. I just, I want anybody, especially when you work at a scholastic institution, just cite your sources. Just say who said it. To say, oh, so-and-so is surprised that Oregon is good, even though so-and-so pointed out that they have all of these highly touted players. Why the disconnect in so-and-so's mind? But instead, everything just gets projected onto the media as a whole. And honestly, like I, I tried to put the effort in coming into this podcast to figure out who out there is shocked that good players play good. And guess what? Haven't found it because it's probably not a thing. Mike Leach is full of crap. Like, I, I don't think that this is an actual thing. I think it's the media's job to ask questions. And so when the media asks Mike Leach a question, like, are you surprised at how well Oregon is playing? Why does that turn into a diatribe about how no one should be surprised? The media is not saying, I am surprised. There is no unified the media voice, by the way. They're not saying, I am surprised. What do you think about my opinion that I am surprised? That's not the question. The question is, what do you think about this? And honestly, like most media members maybe aren't super well-versed in recruiting, and a lot of them didn't even play football themselves. So you you do have to deal with a lot of questions coming from a place of ignorance or inexperience. But there's an advantage to that, because most of the people reading the information are coming from a place of ignorance or inexperience, and that helps those people get answers they want. So I just the it, Ralph, you're missing it. Oh, you're missing it. Oh, you're missing why Mike Leach is talking about this. You have to go back to Pac-12 Media Day. What was Mike Leach talking about on Pac-12 Media? Uh, well, he usually talks about nonsense, but this year he brought up the fact that they win just as much as anybody. Well, I think it's actually. Uh, now that if you factor in the early part of this season, they're probably somewhere around three or four, but that they've been winning more than anybody uh, recently. And why is nobody talking about Washington State? And now Washington State is not having that great of a season. So far, they've they got come back on by UCLA. They have, you know, it, it's not going as swimmingly as as he would have hoped they're four and three right now, one and three in the conference. So this is a, a, this is a personal deflection, Ralph. This is what this is. He's not, 
he's not actually mad. He's not actually upset. Mike Leach just wants to talk about something and really, you know, put a us against the world. Of course, Oregon's good. What are you talking about? Two two years ago, Oregon was in the dumpster, dude. In the dumpster. I mean, so so guess what? The resurgence just happened a little bit quicker than most people thought it was going to happen. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, your your boys down in Arizona. Actually, first thing, you guys, this is the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. Thanks for sharing with me and Ralph. This is your podcast. So you can always hit us up. Anytime that you guys have heard, we get emails, all this stuff. We always put them on. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. I am M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. Leave a rating on wherever you're listening. And please leave a comment and all that stuff as well. We, we appreciate it as well. Um, I want to give a shout out super before we get off. I must applaud Washington Huskies fans. Because mind you, it was a huge rivalry game against the Oregon Ducks. I mean, it's a heated rivalry, hated rivalry. Everybody's upset, furious about it all the time. And they took the loss to Oregon amazingly well. I I even read online and in my text, great game. You guys have a really good team. Like, it was so nice that it was creepy. Like, it was like something, something else was coming on the back end. Like they were coming to. So you're not concerned. You're not concerned with this small, tiny, tiny, tiny undercurrent of of hardcore dog fans who, who, who want Peterson gone. That is insane, dude. So I, on one hand, I I'm laughing. I couldn't even get it out of my mouth without laughing. I can't believe that so many people are calling for Chris Peterson's job. Um, we'll, we haven't had any coaches fired mid mid year. So I haven't had to go over the two rules of my, of my <laughs> coach firing, but he's not in the situation. Like who no. else are you going to get to do a better job? A recruiting. First of all, he's doing an outstanding job recruiting. He's putting so many dudes in the NFL that defensive guys are lining up to go to Washington. And then you get yeah. like, like yet are having some offensive struggles. They were mad. They ran the wildcat too much, but I'm like, come on, man. Like you, you can't be serious that you want Chris Peterson fired. Oh, he can't win the big game. Really? Oh, really? He's, he's only won the Pac-12 yeah. championship the last two years. I believe. Do you want, you want 11 teams fan bases to unite and have a giant cocktail party fire Chris <laughs> Peterson. Everybody else is about sick of him. Uh, and 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 also just like a tad jealous, I think. And so I, yeah, I mean, go ahead if you want to be mad at Chris Peterson, go ahead. But there's, I don't think there's very many other coaches in the entire conference who probably wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be concerned for their own jobs if Chris Peterson was on the market. You know who would be the most happy if he got fired? U- USC's coach. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, I, I mean U USC's fan base. They would be the most happy. Yeah, because they'd no, be like, they, ooh, 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 yeah. ooh, we got our coach. We'll we'll get Chris Peterson. Yeah, one hundred percent. They'd be they they they'd be thinking that that was their next guy. They'd think it's Sark two point um, uh, Yeah. So I just and I know that this is the way that fans are. I mean, all week long, people have been calling for 
for Rob Lichen's job at Arizona State, like he's the one who, you know, wanted to play a 17-year-old left tackle against probably the best edge rusher in the entire Western United States. You know, I, I mean, people people just want uh, want people to be uh, pay and to be held accountable for the mistakes of their of their team. Um, but I just anybody who thinks that Chris Peterson. Um, is past his prime at, at Washington or should be let go. Oh, man, that, that's somebody that I would love to have a dinner party with to see what other <laughs> thoughts on life they possess. Yeah, but it was creepy how nice Washington fans were, though. Like, it was like something else is coming on the back end. Like, they're going to kill me in my sleep. It, it's, <laughs> it's like watching Snapped or Women Who Kill or buried in the backyard with my wife because she loves to watch those shows and it creeps me out because yeah you know what it is you know what it is though it's that they're out they're out like they have the relief of knowing that they're not in competition for no matter basically no matter what at this point they are not in competition for representing the the Pac-12 North this year and so I think there's an element to that that can say like all right we'll get them next year. They don't have to root for crazy things to happen in order for them to get back in it. They just got to focus on what they have for for the rest of the year. There can be some relief in that when when you know that, all right, we we gave it our best. We're getting a little bit better, but we're out of it this year. And I think that 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 can contribute to it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Am I the only one that doesn't like watching Snapped or Women Who Kill or Buried in the Backyard with with my wife? I couldn't do that. I couldn't. I, I, I'd be staring at her the whole time instead of the TV screen. Yes. I'd be more interested in in my wife's reaction to each of those things. Yes. It's uh, the scariest thing in the whole world to me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Like, because there's nothing more vulnerable to me as a man than you don't. On all these shows, nobody saw it coming. Or the majority of people yeah. didn't see it coming. They thought everything was fine. And then they get killed in their sleeper by some random person or cyanide poisoning. And and they're just staring at him in the face, smiling. And I'm looking at her thinking, wait, you're over here smiling, smiling at me. What, what are you doing in your spare time, woman? Yeah. I, and, and, and it's not like, it's not like they can be mad at you for getting paranoid either. I watch, you know, I watch walk the line or Ray with my wife and Ray Charles or Johnny cash cheat on their spouse. And she's mad at me for 10 days. <laughs> like it's a movie based on historical events. I didn't do anything. She's like, yeah, but did you like the movie? Like, what, what award? Of course I liked the movie. I didn't like what he did though. He, he should have been shot for yeah. what he did. <laughs> right. Yeah. So no no no, I, I, the marriage is weird. It's like we're c- consuming media and wondering how the other person is digesting. Oh, sometimes I definitely choose to depending on what's going on in our life. I will censor what we watch. I'm like, ah, oh, no, nah, I don't really want to watch that because I know <laughs> that this may trigger some other things. I'm like, yeah, how about how about no? I want to be happy tonight. Um. Oh yeah, like yeah, the documentary on like on equal pay comes out. I'm like, oh, I might, I I actually got to record a podcast <laughs> with George. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so Ralph, your boys at Arizona made a made a shocking, not shocking announcement that there was going to be no change to the quarterback depth chart. So they're going to continue to roll with Khalil Tate 
and then he's not going to play well. And then they're going to put him on the bench sometime in the second half, bring in Grant Gunnell, throw the ball a billion times, and then lose. <laughs> like, what? I, I don't understand. Like, th- this is clear as day what the formula is. Yeah, I mean, George, what, what would your estimation be of the Arizona fan base? Where do you think that they're at? Because I've, I've noticed it's pretty clear where their head is at on the quarterback issue. Who do you think they want taking snaps? They want Grant Gannell. They do. Because, I, I, okay, I understand that Khalil Tate's been there for a bunch of years. And that you want to, quote unquote, do right by the kid. I get it. But this is, like I said earlier, the, everybody's a mercenary. Everybody has to do what's best for them. And Kevin Sumlin needs to do what's best for his team. Yeah. In terms of winning football games. Like you can like you, you've tried to give Khalil Tate a chance. You've tried. It's not working. It is time to move in a different direction. I said it on the last podcast. I said it on unafraidshow.com in the Pac-12 power rankings. You guys go check those out every Monday. Um that I've said it on there. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's that's not my that's not my own quote. You can look it up if you'd like. But that's what Kevin Sumlin is doing. Do you want to be a read option team with Ke- with Khalil Tate, who doesn't really even want to run right now, and have him running backwards, throwing the ball left-handed out of bounds, or do you want to? Uh, and you or do you want to be what Noel Mazzoni does, play Greg Gunnell, and throw the ball a million times a game? I I'm, I don't understand. I don't understand either. I honestly don't because, like you said, so. Th- the fans are now overwhelmingly in uh, Ganell's camp. Um, I, I still think that Khalil Tate is the better option for a team that would be willing to deal with what they have rather than who they want to be at a later date. But I think we have plenty of proof that that's not going to be the case. So if that's not going to be the case, like it's just time. It's time to move on. I, you know, I, I had a discussion with a former uh, multi-year starter in, in the Pac-12 just about quarterback competitions and about going back and forth between quarterbacks. And he said, you never want to let it drag on too long because that makes the players feel like they have a choice in the matter. It, it allows them to pick favorites and get invested. Um, you have to be in complete control of the quarterback situation Otherwise, everybody else feels like their opinion matters and their voice matters. And sometimes those voices make decisions based on like arbitrary, stupid stuff that can cause um, issues in your team. So even something as simple as one quarterback is black, one quarterback is white. Some of the players are black. Some of the players are white. And you have people who will say, I would rather see this color skinned quarterback play. Like and, yeah. and he and he he was just being frank. He said, like, you leave the door open for people to make decisions based on what's important to them, and then they'll feel like you did them wrong for even giving them that window in the first place when you make a decision that's best for you and it doesn't it doesn't go along with what they were invested in. That's why you don't let your quarterback battle go into the season. That's why you don't introduce a quarterback battle during the season. Um and, and so I just I the fabric of this team could get messed up if it's seen as them doing Khalil Tate dirty when he's got a bunch of four year teammates that he's with, you know. And and what would somebody be more 
upset by him getting Khalil Tang get his getting you know his chain jerked six different times during the season, or making one very very clear statement about who you're going to be in the future. Exactly, you make a decision and you go with it. Like you don't you don't keep going back and forth with your ex girlfriend. And say, oh, hey, no, I want to be with you. No, I want to be with you this afternoon. I want to be with you tomorrow. It, it, that doesn't work out just as much as I, I always say, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. One plus one does not equal two in quarterback math. One plus one equals zero. And you not need look farther than the quarterbacks of the Arizona Cardinals and Carolina Panthers to see that Kevin Sumlin's been in this position before. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even, even there, Cam Newton, Kyle Allen, guess what? As soon as like they, they have to wait to see um, when Cam Newton is healthy, which, which makes sense, obviously. Right. So if Cam Newton is healthy and Kyle Allen is healthy, then you have to make a decision. But as long as, uh, as long as he's hurt, as long as Cam Newton is hurt, you don't have to make a decision. But as soon as he's back healthy, because what if Kyle Allen turns around and gets hurt in the next game? Then you don't have to make a decision. You don't have to say anything. And, and then yeah. you can kind of curb some of some of the drama and the problems. But yeah, but you have to make a decision. Uh, oh, wanted, we, before we get into the games, super quick, um, I wanted to do two things. One, there was a tweet that has implications in the Pac-12. The tweet from Florida's athletic director, Scott Strickland. He said, I mean, this is bold. He put it on Twitter. He was like, listen, nobody is going to accuse us of not trying to schedule games. So guess what? We are Florida. Mind you, Florida has not won a uh, a non-conference game. I'm uh, sorry, a non-conference game outside of the state of Florida against a team with a winning record since 1947. That's the that's a fact. Wow. Because they uh, and uh, most of it is due to the fact that they won't play outside of the state of Florida. And until they played Michigan, what right. two years ago, they hadn't even played a non-conference game outside of the state of Florida since like 1991. I mean, and, yeah. and yes, that's a little skewed because it's a little easier to do because Florida State and Miami are are in state and they play a lot of those games. Uh, but but they are venturing far out. So here's what the AD said. He said, attention ADs. Like, he's calling people out. Attention ADs from the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, or Pac-12. Gator football is looking to add additional home-and-home -home series against Power five opponents. Let's connect and schedule quality games the fans want to see. I'm like, yes, sir. Florida Gators, I'm on board with you. I love it, man. I don't know where this mandate is coming from of SEC teams scheduling home and homes because they're all doing it now, but I like it. I just want them to play 10 power five games. If they do that, yeah. where I am in, I could not be happier as a as a college football fan. I saw that tweet and I knew that that was a dream come true for you, right? Uh, and then I, I felt like, all right, well, do I have to come in and be the wet blanket on this? There are teams that Florida needs to make sure that they do not schedule. If, if it comes down to it being a Pac-12 team, 
because the 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 risk reward is it just doesn't make any sense for them. And so like from a, from, well, first of all, from a Pac-12 perspective, knowing what we know and knowing the makeup of certain teams right now in the coaching staff and the talent on the field, who would make the most sense to send to Florida from a Pac-12 perspective? Probably Oregon State, Colorado. I, w- I would say I would say Oregon. Oregon has a bunch of Florida kids on their roster. Oh, proved yeah. That they like oh. to recruit Florida. They got a coach oh, from Florida. I, th- and I guess thought you what? were asking who would be more. Who would it be less advantageous for Florida to to schedule? Well, I, that's what I. I think it would be less advantageous for Florida to schedule a team that's already coming into Florida and taking recruits. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, that's why I was saying that they would yeah. rather schedule Oregon State or Colorado yes. or somebody. And so I feel like that that that's an opportunity if if because from a Pac-12 perspective, it would be like, well, okay, well then send Oregon. They've already got a presence there. It makes the most sense for them. They've already played Auburn. This would just be a continuation of that. And if you're Florida, you got to say, like, oh, are we letting a fox in the hen house? Like they already recruit Florida. They already got, you know, they they've got a a Florida-centric coaching staff and so i i think that probably the best thing for university of florida to do if they're looking at if they're looking at uh, a potential pac-12 opponent is like let's get a urban meyer bowl going right like let's well they they already have home and home scheduled with with utah in the future but but i definitely agree because florida kids aren't going to well actually they do have a uh, well well when urban was there they used to have some florida kids go there but but you are you are right about the fox in the hen house thing. If they do that, then they're going to be letting Oregon in there, USC. I don't know if you necessarily yeah. want to. I think I think maybe probably UCLA would be if UCLA can get back a little bit, and I mean you give them a couple of years, they probably will at least be more competitive than they are now. I think that UCLA Florida would be maybe a perfect exchange of like all right we'll let you into Gainesville you give us uh the ability to come into LA you know and and equal risk right like if you want to come get our players maybe come we'll come get your players um but I think that 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 might be an equal footing thing but like to have a team like Oregon come in potentially beat you and already have a recruiting pleasant oh that could be nasty dude that could be nasty time um yeah but I am excited about like I had been, you know, down and upset about the trend in college football scheduling, but now I feel much, much better about it. It is going in the right direction, especially with the SEC. The Pac-12 teams decent do a decent job, uh, except for sometimes Washington's schedule have been a little bit light, which I don't like. I mean, considering that they've been so good, but are those seasons a little bit of fool's gold when they haven't? When the year they went to the National of cha- uh, the college football playoff. Their their non conference schedule was bad. Non conference schedule bad again this year. You know, I don't know. Uh, the last thing before we get into the games. Uh, oh, is the TV ratings? We want to go over the TV ratings because we made so much fuss and all at rigmarole about ASU Utah being on the Pac twelve network. Which it probably like it it wouldn't have done ASU any favors for that game to be on. <laughs> I'm calling it national TV, okay, on national TV. Even though the Pac-12 
network is technically national TV. It's not. It's only 17 million homes. Um, it would have it wouldn't have done ASU any favors because they got absolutely just drowned. Like they got held held underwater. You know, like Big Brother hand on your head. You're swinging trying to hit him and you can't touch him. That's what the game was. So it wouldn't have done ASU any favors, but it damn sure would have done Utah some favors to for people to see them and be like, oh my god. What are they doing? Arizona State, who beat Michigan State? What what are they doing? This is unbelievable. But uh, we have the highest rated Pac-12 game of the year um, between Pac-12 teams. So the highest rated Pac-12 game of the year involving a Pac-12 team, period, is the Oregon, it's Oregon-Auburn, which drew 6.8 million viewers which is one of the, I think it's the third highest rated game of the year, period, which is really good. No, fourth fourth highest game because you got the highest rated game of the year is uh, Notre Dame, Georgia. Very surprising. Notre Dame, Georgia is the highest rated game of the year. So, and then obviously you got games like Penn State, Michigan did really well last week. Oklahoma, Texas did over $7 million. Um, Michigan State, Ohio State did really well, even though that's a that game wasn't necessarily good. Ohio State, Nebraska. This is why I say the everybody thinks that the SEC is the most watched football, but no, if you put Ohio State in anybody, it is going to be the highest rated game. Um, but for the Pac-12, though, um, where's the tweet? Oh, for the Pac-12. Pac-12 games through week eight. You have Oregon-Auburn, 6.86 million viewers. Oregon-Washington, 3.62 million viewers. These are day games. Primetime games always get the highest ratings. You have Colorado-Nebraska, 3.45 million. USC-Notre Dame, 3.16 million, which probably would have been way higher if if there was a little, little more star power. UCLA, Oklahoma, 2.74 million. And that game was an absolute blowout. Michigan State, Arizona State, Michigan State, 2.71 million. Uh, USC, BYU, 267. And Washington, BYU, 255. What did you gather from this, Ralph? Um, I, I think I, I, I gathered that, uh, you know, the, the network matters. Um, the time of day matters. Uh, but also, you know, brand is important. Basically, anything right now that is on Pac-12 Network is being hidden in a broom closet. At least some stuff on Big Ten Network, you know, gets out of that million. Uh, You know, Ohio State Northwestern did 1.64 million viewers last week. You know, and meanwhile, Pitt-Syracuse, which was on ESPN, um, it was, I believe, a 4 p.m. West Coast kickoff, had over a million viewers. And I don't, you know, you're not even going to see ASU Utah on here, you know. ESPN yeah. two, Boise State BYU six hundred thousand, and are you telling me that ASU Utah couldn't even do that because of the network they were on when it was two yeah. ranked opponents? That's they from a Phoenix metropolitan area that has five million people on its own. That's crazy. See, I I don't know if the Pac-12 they released their their stats only because only because 
you know, the, I mean, they're only available on Sling and a couple other places. So they may not want to release the numbers because we know how secretive and John, John Wilner does a great job of covering the, the, the Pac-12 and the money and all of that stuff. They do a great job of keeping the, this money secret and the rating, all anything that could go negative, secret. Like when the athletic directors and the presidents, when they look at the financials, it's on Mission Impossible, time-sensitive, this-will-self-destruct documents. <laughs> like, No, I'm serious. They don't even get to keep them like that. They're all digitally digitally delivered. So anytime that anybody's seen them, when John Wilner gets a hold of them, they're screenshots. They're not actual like PDFs sent over to them. No, 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 no. These are screenshots that they had to take of their phone of the stuff on there. <clears throat> That's... <laughs> it, that's wild it's craziness so i think that you're right that network matters and we can assume what the pac-12 network did and did not do based upon the fact that we know that espn2 espnu have a footprint of like 80 million houses and they're doing um and they're doing like six hundred thousand views million views for a big game and the Pac-12 network has a footprint of 17 million homes. So how many people can you really be reaching considering that they're not all going to be watching that game? Yeah, and a lot of those people who have access to Pac-12 network might not necessarily even be in a Pac-12 footprint or have a Pac-12 affiliation or have any reason to watch Pac-12 at all. You know, if it's included in somebody's Sling subscription who lives in Newark, New Jersey, do they really care that much? You know, and so they've made getting Pac-12 Network intentionally difficult enough to where we can't trust what percentage of that 17 million is actually a percentage that that targeted getting Pac-12 Network to watch the games that they want to watch. Yep. Okay, well, we can get into the games now, Ralph. It is time to get into the games, deep dive into the games. First game up, we have a Pac-12 weirdo start time Friday night, 6 o'clock Pacific time. Yes, Friday night, another Friday night game. USC travels to Colorado. USC, who's had three starting quarterbacks, and now there are 19 starting quarterbacks who've played in the Pac-12. Um, oh, b- b- before we even do that, Ralph, I-, I wanted to just name guys because I know some of our uh, the listeners want to hear, you know, interested in who the Pac-12 players of the week are and all of that. So you got Justin Herbert was the offensive player of the week. You had offensive lineman of the week, Calvin Throckmeyer, offensive tackle from Oregon on defense, Bradley. And oh, they give awards for beating Utah. up on high school kids now. <laughs> not, o- not 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 only did he get the Pac-12 defensive player of the week, he got Pac-12 defensive lineman of the week too for Bradley Anai. He had three sacks uh, uh yeah, and about and, and a pass break. Quarterback pressures. <laughs> um the special teams player of the week was the punter from oh uh Oregon State, punted nine times, 41-yard average and freshman of the week Kyle Phillips, wide receiver from UCLA, 10 receptions, 100 yards in their win over Stanford. 
And the Pac-12 standings are in in the North. You got Oregon four and zero, Oregon State two and two, Washington two and three, Stanford two and three, Cal one and three, Washington State one and three. So technically, now the only team I believe that's mathematically alive to beat Oregon, I mean that could catch Oregon, I believe, is yeah. Oregon State. <laughs> And that would mean Oregon would have to lose all the rest of their games and then beat Oregon, which probably won't happen. Yeah, they're 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 they can and only disappoint the South, from here on out. Oregon, they seriously that's the position <laughs> they're in. They can only do they can only screw up. Everything else is meeting expectations. Yep, uh, and in the South, the South is wide open. Everybody has a shot in the South. Um, I think Colorado may, may be mathematically eliminated, but I'm not 100% sure. So you got Utah, 3-1. and one, USC's 3-1. and one, Arizona State, Arizona, and UCLA are all 2-2. Two and two, And then Colorado is 1-3. and three. So you're saying there's a chance, Ralph. So you're saying there's a chance for the UCLA Bruins. No. No, there's not a chance. No way. <laughs> I refuse okay. to admit it. All right. So if... if so if they beat Arizona State this then this week, still not a then chance. what? There's, you still have to deal with Utah and USC. <laughs> Dude. Okay, so the USC uh, Colorado game. We both have Colorado ranked as the worst team in the Pac-12 right now. They look like they're trending in the same direction as they were last year when they dropped seven straight. Um, the line on this game, USC is favored by 13 and a half points. I don't even see that as unreasonable. Uh, what What's your take on this game? I think that USC has to cover. I think that USC is, um, that, like I just said about Oregon, like they can only, they can only disappoint from here. Um, the only thing that can happen in this game uh, for for USC is to go in and clearly, clearly exhibit that they have a much higher talent level. Uh, I think that that's very, very important for USC. For Colorado, they just need to show that they're getting back on track. I mean, th- there are some talent deficiencies that are on display on the defensive side of the ball. For Colorado, they haven't been able to stop anyone. Um you know, I, I think that it's going to take time. I think you have to give them a little bit of grace. Uh, what I don't like to see is what happened at Washington State and them not even really be able to get their offense going because the offense is the engine of this team. Um, but they're they're a wounded animal right now, and if you, USC doesn't go in there and take care of business, you you get to a point where you're just right back in the same position that we've been all year talking about whether <laughs> whether the basically the fitness – of this coaching staff to even have the jobs that they have. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and with Colorado, I mean, it kind of seems like their best player offensively lately has been Alex Fontenot. Uh, he had 11 carries for 105 yards in his second hundred yard game uh, last week against Washington state. And he was pretty much the only bright spot because Steven Montez, their quarterback has not been very good lately. I mean, he's been – he started out the season hot, wasn't throwing interceptions, played great versus Nebraska, you know, and was on fire. And then as soon as Pac-12 play came, I mean, it's like this team fell off a cliff. I it, it, It's like the – I remember when I was a rookie in the NFL. They say that you hit the rookie wall because you play about the same amount of games or the same amount of snaps and practices 
through about eight weeks in the NFL because of the preseason games and all of that, as you do in college football, then you kind of get tired. And it seems like Colorado hit a wall and I don't understand what it is. It is like this team just does not look good. Um, And then on the other side of the ball, you got UCLA. I'm sorry, USC. Uh, They've had six true freshmen start this year. Last week, cornerback Dorian Hewitt started. You've had Keaton Slovis start. Chris Steele, the Florida trans, the Florida bounce back transfer, Max Williams, the cornerback, Drake Jackson, the defensive lineman, and wide receiver Drake London as well, all start. And you're just like, oh, and then uh Keenan, Keenan Christopher, the running back as well, who had the he's number 23, who had that long run at the end of the game, finished with you know, eight carries, 103 yards, and you see a and you and two touchdowns. And USC's down to their like their fifth string running back because you got Malapai out, Step out, um, Stephen Carr maybe hurt, and this kid uh, Kristen was expected to redshirt, and now he's going to be playing too. So I, I I don't know you USC's getting thin when you have to start that many freshmen at, at cornerback. And then running back as well, it's not a good look. No, uh, and I mean they're beat up, but again, they're still pretty talented, and it it shouldn't be an issue against Colorado. It might be an issue moving forward as the depth continues to, you know, become a, a concern. But I mean, Drake Jackson, I saw him get banged up, and if they lose him, that's. That might be a wrap. I mean, that's how important he's been as a freshman. I, I love Jay. I absolutely love what Jane Daniels is doing at ASU, but it's very possible that the most important freshman in all of the Pac-12 is actually Drake Jackson for for USC. So if he's not full go, it, maybe it's you know maybe Colorado has a little bit more of a chance in this game. Yeah, I mean, when when you consider that, you consider the altitude. You consider, you know. All the stuff that kind of factors in the the Friday night game. You have a bunch of freshmen starting. Colorado has to in their meetings be like, hold up, we we need to have a gut check, a pride check. And you add all of that in, you could have a recipe for an an upset. I don't think it's gonna happen. I'm actually picking USC and the and laying the points. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, what if what if Colorado has a bounce back game? Because this is the back twelve, and it's on a Friday. It's weirdo stuff happens. Yeah, I mean, I oh, I hate these Friday games. I what, what do we got to do? I mean, I, is it just wait for the next TV contract? Because it's I, I just no, feel like Ralph. Because because then on the next TV con- contract, they're gonna be like, yo, we we have an open slot on Wednesdays. And yeah. they're gonna say, "Oh, of course, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you'll 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 give us an extra twenty million dollars, yeah, yeah. We'll play on Wednesdays too." I mean, the, the, they'll play on ice if if a TV network wants to see it. The first football game in a hockey rink, like what, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, the TV networks want. The Pac-12 is going to acquiesce. Yeah, and that and that's no good. Who are you taking in this game, Ralph? USC and I, I also like them with the points. Yeah, because this is Colorado's trending all the way in the wrong direction. Next game up, we got on Saturday, twelve thirty. 
we have uh, Ari- the Arizona Wildcats head to Stanford. These are two teams I think we both had in the, you know, in like the 10-11 spot in the Pac-12 power rankings. Two other teams headed in the wrong direction. Arizona has no identity. Stanford, Stanford's identity is lost. We, we, we know what they want to be. They want to be intellectual brutality, but intellectual brutality is broken right now. Like it has, it, it's like it doesn't even resemble itself. I mean, they are, they're like, uh, Stanford looks like Jerry Rice playing for the Oakland Raiders instead of Jerry Rice playing for the San Francisco 49ers. They are, they are, hi, I'm Jerry Rice with DirecTV. Hi, I'm Jerry Rice with cable. That's who they are right now. And you think that they've, but you, I mean, you still think that Arizona's got enough fuel in the tank to, to take them on? I mean, I don't know. Dude, it's, it depends on who starts at quarterback for Stanford. Yeah, very if much. If Davis so. Mills or KJ Costello start, which, which we, we've thought they were coming back and they haven't come back, then yes, I would give the edge to Stanford because then they can at least pass the football, which can open up their run game as well. But if the, um, What's his name? Um, if the if the other kid starts, yeah, no, it's not happening. Jack West, yeah, uh, yeah. Can we make a conditional pick? Because I mean, I feel like I feel like if I knew who the starting quarterback was, if it was Jack West, I'd feel okay going with Arizona in this game. And if it's not, then I don't. I mean, it's it's that simple. Because if you have the ability to attack Arizona's defensive backs then there's no reason you should lose at this point. So Arizona is favored by a point, which which means that Vegas may believe that <laughs> Jack West is starting. So I, I think we do have to bend the rules for this pick and make a conditional pick. And if if Jack West starts, I'm picking Arizona. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same exact boat as you. And I'm, 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 I'm making you look like a genius because I'm going second on these picks and just agreeing with you all day, which never <laughs> happened. But I, I think that it, it, without the ability to attack Arizona secondary, you don't really leave yourself any, any chance to do anything. You're too one-dimensional. Um, Arizona, for all of its faults, is still explosive offensively. If you thought that Stanford looked like they had trouble with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, they're going to have trouble with whoever is back there for Arizona. So, um, yeah, I would say that if you have the ability to attack Arizona secondary, you should win. And if not, you should lose. Yeah. So you so you have Arizona, who's second in the Pac-12 at 199.7 rushing yards per game. They are fifth in the Pac-12 in scoring per game at 32.4 points per game. But then on the defensive side, Stanford's giving up 27.6 points per game and Arizona's giving up 34 points a game. So it's like, so it's like, and then Stanford is the second worst scoring team in the Pac-12 at only 20 points a game. So it's inter- it's always interesting to see when teams who don't score very many points, like Cal and Stanford, Cal, Cal's only averaging 19 points a game. Uh, teams that average 19 and 20 versus teams like UCLA, Colorado that give up 35 points a game. And when you saw Stanford play UCLA, UCLA scored what 30, 34, 36 points, 30, 
and Stanford only scored 16 points. So you're like, so it's always interesting when you get matchups like like this because Arizona's pass offense, like if you look at their numbers, their total offense numbers, they are second in the Pac-12, 491 yards a game, 491, yet they're having trouble winning games in the Pac-12. How does this make sense? <laughs> because they, I mean they don't they don't have it going on both sides of the ball. Yeah, because their total uh, and, and, defense and is eleven. Yeah. yeah, their total defense is eleven. Yeah. They're giving up almost the same amount of yards as they're as they're gobbling up. Okay, so okay, so I think we're both in agreement on that game. Um, we got Arizona State at UCLA. I look at this as a super, super important game in the Pac-12. Super important. Because it's important for the conference to have top teams. You know, clear top 25 teams. And if Arizona State loses this, they're falling out of the top 25. And then you're only going to have two teams ranked instead of at least three every single week this year. And Arizona State is 5-2. and two. UCLA is two and five. This game is played on the road at the Rose Bowl at 430 Pacific time. Arizona State's favor only by three and a half points, but it's probably because of their power outage last week. What what say you, Ralph, about this game? Um, I mean, UCLA is not good. They've got Dorian Thompson Robinson. They've got some talent. Uh, I mean, in Darnay Holmes, and obviously, you know, they had a receiver breakout last week. You look at what ASU did defensively against Utah, you know, with everybody talking about how this is it, like Tyler Huntley's back. And, you know, Zach Moss had, I think, something like 20-something carries for 64 yards before he broke off that last 30-yarder. So, ASU's defense really showed up last week. The offense just didn't give them any relief whatsoever. They were on the field the entire game on the road. Um, Having to be on the road again could be tough, except I think they're very much going to welcome not having to play in the sleet and snow. So I think that that's probably going to be a boost for ASU as well. Um, I don't think UCLA is at the point where they're feeling themselves at all after their win at Stanford. I think that they understand that that, you know, that was a game that based on who was on the field at that time, they probably should have won. I'm curious to see if UCLA can handle getting punched in the mouth by this defense because the, I don't I don't know if they've played a defense uh, like this pro- yet. Probably Oklahoma, they, o- Oklahoma's de- defense. Oh, well, Oklahoma and Cincinnati's were really good too. I would, I would say that they were upper tier com- uh, and San Diego State even too compared to what UCLA has played already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but you're gonna get you're gonna get these these linebackers uh, spying Dorian Thompson Robinson, and and you know unless he's accurate as hell, which you know he's it comes and goes for him, then he could really really have a stroke. I don't think he's gonna look like Jaden Daniels looked last week at Utah, but I see this being a game where you know he struggles to rush for fifty yards, he struggles to throw for one hundred and fifty. So it's going to come down to whether or not ASU's offense can move the ball. 
That that to me, that's the whole key to this game. Was ASU's offense irreparably psychologically damaged by what happened uh, against Utah and with Bradley and I and all that stuff, or or is it going to feel like a giant pressure relief to not be having to go against you know Utah's front and they'll all of a sudden be able to move the ball again? I think that'll be the case. I think ASU will be able to move the ball. Um, it, it's not going to be a it's not going to be a blowout because that's just not what Arizona does, or that's not what Arizona State does. I apologize, but. Um, I, I see this as maybe a nine ten Arizona State win. Oh wow! 9, 10 points. See, uh, okay, so UCLA in the last three games, they've rushed for two sixty three, um, two nine oh two fifty. Yeah, so two sixty three versus Stanford, two fifty six versus Oregon State, and two seventeen versus Arizona. Their best rushing outputs of the season. And this looks like a team that's trending in the right direction like they did last year. Their defense is still absolutely atrocious, but they're no longer the worst scoring defense in the Pac-12. Now, instead of 12th, they are 11th. But when it comes to yards, total yards given up, they've moved up from 12th all the way to 10th. Their pass defense is up a spot. This is a team that's going in the right direction. Their pass offense went from last to to uh is continuing to move move up total offense ninth chip kelly's getting this offense figured out and arizona state is having trouble like scoring points I, it, away from home because they have so many true freshmen starting and redshirt freshmen starting i think they have the the, the most in the nation so they those young kids typically have trouble playing on the road mind you that, that that didn't uh, like surface itself against Michigan State, but Michigan State can't score the ball very well. So in this game, I am picking UCLA, Ralph. I am picking the the upset. It has nothing to do with with them winning the Pac-12 South or anything like, like that. UCLA just feels feels like they're trending in the right direction, and I don't trust. ASU's freshmen. Yes. You think ASU's freshmen yeah. are hitting a wall? I, I I think they're playing really really hard. Okay. I mean, my, mind you, UCLA's playing a ton of young guys too, but a lot of them played last year. So, like, they're playing yeah. a lot of fre- redshirt freshmen who played some last year in the four games, and a lot of sophomores who played last year as well. I just I just don't you know I, I just don't trust Arizona State on the road. I, obviously, I I love Jaden Daniels. You know Benjamin, uh, Brandon Anouk, like they have talent, but so does UCLA offensively, and I think you're going to end up in a shootout to 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 some extent. And if UCLA can run the football, UCLA can run the football, then you're going to find a situation where they're ultimately able to win the game as well. Yeah, uh, I they they've been a little bit better. Um... You know, the, the defense carried them on the road in all three top 25 contests this year at Michigan State, at Cal, and at Utah. This will not be as tough as those three games. So in order for UCLA to win, you would actually have to definitely depend on on Arizona State's defense and their freshmen um, sort of hitting a wall. Um, I think that you're going to have a lot of ASU's players kind of up for this a little bit because this is their one shot to play in SoCal. 
this year. <laughs> They're probably not going to the Rose Bowl uh, again after this. Um, but this is their one shot to play in, in SoCal this year, and they, you know, they, they've got they've got a lot of young talent all from that area, all looking to show out in front of their families. Um, so I, I mean, I just again, who would have to go off for UCLA for this to even be be a shootout? To, who would be the weapon? that would make that the case. I'm just not sure I see that okay. kind of depth offensively for UCLA. So UCLA's last game at the Rose Bowl was versus Oregon State. Yeah. And they lost 40, 48 to 31. But Oregon State, mind you, I want to give props to Oregon State. They are on pace to set the NCAA record for the least amount of turnovers in a season, which is why they've continued to be competitive in every single game. Yeah. And I, obviously, I, th- I believe that Oregon State offensively is better than Arizona State offensively. Would you would would you agree with that? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they. I mean, they they have Isaiah Hodgins. They have the two running backs, uh, Jake Lutton, Luton, however you say it, say his name, is doing a really good job of not turning the ball over. They're explosive. So in in this game, this is the first game that we differ. And I got UCLA in this game. No take backs, Ralph. No take backs. All right. <laughs> um, uh, Cal travels to Utah. <sighs> this this game is not going to be good. This game is not going to be good. And like in terms of for Cal, because Cal, uh, Utah is favored by 21 and a half points. Utah could probably score 25 points and win by 21 and a half points in this game. <laughs> I'm dead serious. After watching Cal play last week, after watching Cal play last week against Oregon State, and Oregon State's defense is not good. Their defense is still a bottom third in the Pac-12. They scraped 17 points together. Scraped 17 points. So, Against Utah, after watching what Utah did to Arizona State and knowing Cal's quarterback situation, Chase Garbers is hurt. Monster may not even be playing because he got hurt last last game. They have the true freshman in. Well, I don't know if he's a true, true, true freshman, but he's a freshman. The kid is smaller than Jaden Daniels. Hasn't yeah, no, it's Spencer Spencer Brash is skinny. He's a skinny dude. He yeah. hasn't seen a lot of playing time. How on earth, Ralph? I can't think of because Cal, their defense is really good, but they have the smallest margin for error. If a team gets to 15 points, they're probably they're they're in trouble. Like they're in the danger zone once a team gets to 15, 17 points. Because they're only averaging 19 points a game. Yeah. So how on earth? I mean, I can't find a way that Cal can win this game. Even if Tyler, let's say that Tyler Huntley's beat up and he looked pretty beat up at the end of that ASU game, he had to come Ooh. out. To come I, out twice. I, I guess if I guess oh. Oh, okay, so Cal's defense <laughs> is good enough to where if, but they're not that great against the run. So if Shell, yeah. So you think if Zach Moss gets thirty carries, then it's yeah. I, but okay, so if Tyler Huntley does not play or is limited in action, they won't cover this twenty-one and a half points. But they'll still win. But at the but if okay. Shelley plays or the the other kid plays, then Cal has a shot because they should sell out on stopping the run and dare them to throw it over 
their their heads because Cal's secondary is very talented. Those guys can sit on some islands, and if they can stop the run with Tyler Huntley out, guess what? They will have a chance to win this game, even in even though it's in Utah in Rice Eccles Stadium, which is a huge advantage. But the problem is, Cal could hold Cal could hold Utah to ten points and still lose. Like that's how bad their offense is. So forget the forget the head to head matchup of the two teams. Should we be paying attention to this game because it might be the Pac twelve Defensive Player of the Year against the Offensive Player of the Year? Should we just focus on Evan Weaver, Zach Moss? You think Zach Moss is going to be the Pac twelve Offensive Player of the Year? No way. Yeah, I think no that, way. I think that no is possible. Chance. I think that if if he, if he goes out, if he goes out and scores, you know, what what do they have left? If he goes out and scores two three touchdowns in each and every game moving forward, uh, and they're having to depend on him, especially if Huntley's banged up. And then the, if, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on probably what happens in the Pac-12 championship if he ends up being, yeah, so I think he, I, okay, I absolutely so he's think leading he the shot. conference with 613 yards and eight touchdowns. But I, I, I think that I would put Isaiah Hodgins even uh, ahead of him, but but they won't give it to him because Oregon State's not not winning. But but then there's the quarterbacks. Yeah. You got Anthony Gordon, who yeah. who probably won't get it either because unless Washington State finishes super strong, then you got Herbert and Eason. I mean, and Herbert's uh, ahead of him with 21 touchdowns, 1800 yards. Even though it's not spectacular, spectacular numbers. I you know I I just yep. don't see one particular player. In the Pac-12, that is having such an outstanding season on a winning team. Because if I had to give the award out right now, I'd probably give it to Isaiah Hodgins. Okay, but just for star for star power alone, do you think that it, it'd be worth watching this game? Because it, basically, the way we're talking about this game is that it's already over. Would you tune in just to see one last time, Evan Weaver, Zach Moss? Oh no, no, I'm highly interested in this game. Highly, okay. because I believe that this game could go, that this game could be very, very close. I believe Utah is going to ultimately win the game, but it would not be outside of the realm of possibility if Utah turns the ball over, like on some fumbles or a missed read and it gets thrown. Because this is a Pac-12 after, game, after dark game, too. So weirdo stuff happens. Yeah. So and th- this is a game on Fox Sports One as well, so it ma- makes it even more weird at night. So I, I would not be surprised. Like th- th- this is a game that Cal could, w- if they do win the game, it'll look like Cal versus Washington last year, where it's like a ten to twelve victory. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying this game, this is a Styles make fights game, and then when you add in the injuries to the Utah players because Cal is going to be very physical and they're going to be trying to get Huntley out the game. If he does play, I, I, I just, I just see a scenario where if Cal's quarterback is not turning the ball over and their defense is locked in that even though I'm picking Utah and the 21 and to, um, well, sorry, if Tyler Huntley plays, they should cover. If, he does not play. This could be a very, very close game. 
I think that if Cal beats Utah, they should give one fourth of the victory to ASU for just softening Utah up a little bit. <laughs> hey man, but but Emmy, isn't this the way that Cal wins games though? Yeah, twelve to, twelve to ten because they can't yeah. score score points, which is totally incredible. They are only, I mean, when, when you look at at the stats. Cal doesn't have players that are in the top tier of anything. So they're in rushing highest ranked guy 10th. When you look at receiving, guess how many wide receivers they have in the top 12 of the pack 12. Zero Zero. would make sense to me. Yeah. Zero. Guess how many quarterbacks they have in the top 12. Zero. 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 They have zero. (laughs) They have zero. Matt Fink would be their leading passer, I'm pretty sure. Oh, probably. Um, you have a total offense, nobody. Passing efficiency, nobody. And the reason why is because you have teams with multiple quarterbacks without Cal. How crazy is that? You have teams with multiple quarterbacks on the list, but not Cal. That's yeah. insane. I mean, it just it's just... Un- unthinkable. N- nobody in scoring, obviously. So, <laughs> I I have not seen a- an offense this bad in a very very long time, despite their defense being so good. Uh, the last game we got up, we got Oregon playing Washington State, and this is a game that I have circled. Everybody was circling the Washington game for Oregon. I have circled this Washington State game. Oregon's favorite by 14 points. Uh, In case you didn't know, one of the only teams that has streaks going on against Oregon. Because, mind you, at one point in time, Oregon had a streak, a winning streak of at least three or four games against every single Pac-12 team, basically. At the same time, including uh, one against Washington for 12 straight years. So they, they had streaks going. This is one of the only teams that has winning streaks against Oregon going. That's Washington State. They've won the last four times against Oregon. Mind you, those starting quarterbacks were uh, the the starting quarterbacks in those games were Dakota Prokop, Taylor Alley, I believe, Justin Herbert in his first start as a true freshman, and uh, it was some other backup quarterback as well that that never played. And you just so they've gotten the good fortune of playing Oregon with with nobody at quarterback. Oh, oh, oh! And the other one was Braxton Burmeister. So <laughs> Braxton Bur- Bur- Burmeister, who was not a good quarterback at Oregon and transferred to Virginia Tech. Taylor Alley, Dakota Prokop, and Justin Herbert's first start ever. And they've won those last four four games, and Washington State's offense just is typically is typically, you know, after last year Oregon beat Washington in that overtime thriller everybody saw, then they came back and got just clubbed, just beat up, chewed up, spit out by Washington State in uh, in Pullman. What does this game look like to you, Ralph? Uh, well, to me, Oregon's weakness going into this season was X's and O's, and and not just we. It was it was both a weakness and an unknown. Um, 
It was a weakness when you weigh it against everything else that Oregon has the ability to do, and it's an unknown in how it was going to be moving forward. They've got enough talent to cover up some potential deficiencies, uh, and uh, Washington State's not going to allow for that to be the case this week. They're just not. They're they're a very well-coached team. Um, I think that they, they lack a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. I think the worst thing that, that, that could have happened to this Washington state team was that, you know, they're, they're leading returning defensive back going in the supplemental draft to the Arizona Cardinals and, and kind of leaving them without any experience back there. So, I mean, it's going to really come down to whether or not Oregon is, is moving the ball and doing everything they can. Um, offensively to sort of dominate the clock and physically dominate this game and not make too many mistakes. As long as they execute a solid offensive game plan, then I don't think that Washington State will have the ability to keep up with them offensively. But if you give Washington State extra chances, who knows what could happen in this game? Because I, it, this, this game, more than any game so far, comes down to whether or not Cristobal and staff can can play with all the house money they've already won oh i and i have to give coach arroyo some credit i have doubted him after last year i came into the season saying i don't know he's pretty pretty conservative i don't know whether it's coming from a mandate from cristobal or what then they lost the oregon game i mean the auburn game being too conservative in the second half then they came out and said, look, I know I was being too conservative. This won't happen again. And I was like, aha, yeah, right. And the last few games, they have turned it on. Like, they have turned it on. And I'm like, all right, all right. I, I, got, I got a little bit of trust there. And the way that Oregon was able to run the ball against Washington, I mean, they just – and Washington's a good team. Like, they're a good defense. And they just – ran them over in the third and fourth fourth quarter just bulldozed them i mean just yeah. so i think that they, that's what you have to do to this washington state defense is i think you have to go out and just abuse them like just you you have to be the 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 tougher team you have to be a bully because if you try to be finesse and you make a mistake washington state's offense has the ability to make you pay for it yeah, so I think this is a game where if you're Oregon, you're trying to run the ball 45 times, 45, maybe 50 times, and average. If you're averaging five yards a carry at the end of the game, you will, you will have stomped a mud hole because Oregon's defense is good. Their kind of their weakness has been their back end in terms of their because um, they they leave their. Um, DBs on islands a little bit. And when you play Mike Leach, you're going to get concepts. You're going to get crossers. So they have to tackle well and get off the field on third down and find a way to get a little bit of pressure on Anthony Gordon because guess what? He will throw you interceptions. He's already thrown yeah. that thing. No, go on. No, you're, you're right. You're right. He will. And I absolutely cannot wait to see what sort of nonsense. I mean, I can't wait to see what sort of nonsense comes out of uh, a press conference in which, you know, uh, the the Washington State Cougars move to one and four in conference play. Oh, yeah. he's he, he, Instead of a social media ban, he's just going to ban phones. <laughs> he's going to be like, we're... We're only communicating via, via pagers. I got everybody pagers. We're Brand, we bring back the bring back the pigeons. <laughs> Carrier <laughs> pigeons. 
So uh, Oregon's favored by 14 points in this game. Mind you, the last two weeks, uh, well, actually, pre- the previous two weeks against Colorado and against um, against Colorado and against Cal, Oregon was favored by big points. And against Colorado, they were favored against by big points. They have not been covering the the spread as much as you would think. I mean, mind you, it beat Colorado forty five to three. Um, but this is a game that I think that they cover. I think they cover the fourteen points. I'm taking Oregon. I thought Justin Herbert kind of grew up in the last game, and I and Cristobal reminded these guys about last about the last four years, even though he was only there for two of them. And as the head coach for what? I, I just don't believe that this is a game that they're going to have a letdown and that they are going to extend this, that they're going to break the streak of four straight games because they have a good quarterback. They have a good team, a good offensive line. And Washington State's defense is down too. I, I don't think that this is that this game is going to be as close as it probably seems like it's, it could be. Yeah, I, um, I like... I like the spread where it's at. Um, I would not be surprised if this ended up being a push. It's a two touchdown win for for Oregon. Oh, big, you know, big, and it's weird because Oregon doesn't kick field goals really. So yeah, so I I, I would if it, if this game ended up being 35-21, I would not be surprised at all. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all. 